0: my gosh, I did everything so back to front. Mine, was like definitely not a linear path at all. You know, the less dissonance you have between who you really are and how you want to be and being able to be that in your work context, Mm. I think it reduces a lot of stress and it reduces a lot of, I mean, that's exhausting, Mm. pretending to be someone that you're not.
1: Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Welcome back, beautiful people, after our break last week to give some space to the conversations and research that some of us will have needed to do after yet another crazy chapter of 2020. Gosh, this year is testing us. I hope you are all starting to reorientate yourselves and have been able to take the time to look a little bit further into things and feel a little bit more comfortable about where you sit. Coming back to the podcast, it's been a little while since our last entrepreneurial guest, but as you know, I love to showcase all pathways to yay. And I am absolutely delighted to have one of the best with us today and possibly one of the best placed people to guide us through natural human reactions to uncertainty and challenge and give us a little bit of insight into possible things that we can do and action plans we can take. So I'm very excited to have Jasmine Smith on the show today, Director of People and Culture from one of my favorite brands, Swiss Wellness. You all know I love a good nonlinear way TA, so I found Jasmine's story captivating from her nomadic and adventurous childhood to makeup artistry, then a late entry to tertiary studies in behavioral science after her first child, a successful career in retail and sales, and only after seven years. Each at Mecca and T2 and eventual pivot into HR where she's now working wellness wonders for the workforce at Swiss. Jasmine represents everything I love to share about life unraveling in chapters, the importance of self-awareness and the shape-shifting nature of what your yay looks like over time. I think HR, or as it is known at Swiss, people and culture, is another one of those areas of work that can absolutely make or break a business, but that many of us barely understand and definitely take for granted. You'll hear that Jasmine herself didn't know it was even a job she could do until years later, and those are the areas I love to delve into. I learned so much from this chat. I was reminded all about the many tools Swiss and other businesses use to help identify employees' strengths, weaknesses, and passions. I kind of tend to forget that you don't have to learn everything on the fly. <laughs> so if you are wondering how to figure out what your yay is, my wing it method isn't the only way to do it. Jasmine shares a heap of useful hacks and more structured strategies, along with so much other wisdom about igniting human potential. So it's an absolutely wonderful and useful listen. I hope you enjoy As much as I did. Jazz, how have you been coping? How is working from home? I feel like we're all changed our routine one direction, and now we're kind of having to lift it back the other way. It's a bit
0: unsettling. <laughs> How are you going? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, overall, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. I'm feeling pretty hopeful. And, you know, kind of that sense, which quite a few people I've spoken to have spoken about this sense that there's there's got to be some positive change that's going to come out of this. And I mean, I'm hugely grateful on so many levels to obviously, you know, remain employed and, you know, have a great job, being healthy, having a safe place to live, which, you know, you obviously you can't take that for granted. Mm. But I think, yeah, we're super lucky, you know, living here, living in Australia. And I think like, from a work perspective, because I'm in people and culture, in a way, you know, it's this thing that we never expected to happen or it was never on the plan. It was like, okay, prepare for pandemic and get <laughs> team to all work from home in the space of five days. But so in a way, while that's been super high pressure, I like, I'm quite energized by change and, and those sort of challenges. So on a personal level, I've found it quite yeah I mean stressful but exciting Mm. um, to sort of be working through this and making sure that we can do the best job for our people and then because you're in people and culture you sort of you know you've got access to the information you know what the plan is so I think that helps manage some of the anxiety about kind of what's going on and and how we're going to approach it that I think it's a lot easier for me than like I've got two two young or not they're not young daughters young women 18 and 22 (gasps) and so I think it's a lot harder for them like our our youngest daughter just finished year 12 last year year i mean like thank god she wasn't doing it this year because i know that would be super tough but she yeah she got into uni and she's like i'm gonna take a gap here and i'm gonna go off and see the world and i'm gonna find myself and it's gonna be amazing and then it's like oh uh-uh. you're like living with your parents yeah <laughs> <nuts. laughs> so i kind of feel like i mean of course you know it's all relative you know they're mm-hmm. well loved and safe but you know i think i think it's really tough when you're younger
1: Yeah, and you do you have such a greater sense of attachment to your expectations of how things will turn out, whereas as you get older, you just kind of get used to the fact that things are never going to work out how you think they are, and they often work out better, and there there will be lots of silver linings that come out of this, even if we would never have wished the lessons to be learned that way. A hundred percent. But yeah, I I think it it is a lot harder when you're um, younger and not so used to those just catastrophic redirections of pathway. But yeah, I mean, I'm very glad to hear that you're doing well. I think gratitude is the best antidote to uncertainty and fear and anxiety that we get when plans change. Mm. Before we kick off into how you actually ended up in people and culture, which I think is so interesting because again, it's one of those positions where you really hold huge organizations together and individual people together in the background and people forget someone actually is responsible for all the changes that have happened in the last little while. But before we kick off on that journey, I always start with asking everyone what the most down to earth thing is about them and I think it's because in society we attach so much to your title and your productivity and your output and things can seem very glossy when you get to a position like yours and everyone sees the polished final product of your work but they don't often see the behind the scenes of pulling out your hair to actually make <laughs> things work so what's something really relatable about you?
0: I mean oh, yeah I mean I think I still feel like the same probably chaotic 18 year old that I was you know <laughs> when I first started working years ago but When I think about what's down to earth, I mean, if I think about it quite literally, I'm not actually sure now if it's kind of like a superstition or it's a habit, but I can't drive my car when I'm wearing shoes. So I've got this thing where I have to, as soon as I get in the car, I have to, whether it's sneakers or thongs or heels or whatever, I don't really wear heels that much, but I can't feel anything between the bottom of my feet and the pedals, or I get like super anxious and I'm not a particularly anxious person. So even though that's, it's literally down to earth, because <laughs> I, I really need to feel my skin on the pedals so that I feel that I can drive properly. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a yeah, maybe like a bit of a metaphor for the fact that we all do, you know, we all have these things that we do to kind of cope with even stuff that's quite mundane and should be quite subconscious and 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 whatever, but probably a gazillion of those. But but that that was one that I thought of that was, I don't think I'll ever be able to wear shoes again when I drive. And I did Google this to make sure that I wasn't like illegal, being illegal. Like, <laughs> is it illegal to actually drive with no shoes on? But apparently not, as long as you're in full control of the vehicle, which I am.
1: I love that. I think that's so interesting that it's something that stuck with you. Yeah,
0: my my family do sort of hang a bit on me about it.
1: I wonder if it's like from childhood where you always barefoot. So actually that leads really nicely into the first section, which is called way to yay. You know, so many people, you meet them in a chapter of their life, which is the culmination of decades of work and angst and changes in direction. And now it seems like you've found your yay. You've got it all together. have got a job you love, but I love going back to the very beginning and going through all the decisions that helped you get there, reminding everyone that you didn't necessarily know at that time where it would lead to. So let's take it back to very. very. Very young Jasmine in Adelaide, Marriottville High, Was it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually had a, you know, I guess when I think overall about like my childhood, I was always moving. Like we moved a lot as a family. We moved overseas, around Australia. I think I went to six different primary schools. So I went to a lot of different schools. We lived in a lot of different houses. So yeah, Marriottville High, that was like, that was actually the only school where I stayed. You know, I stayed there all through secondary school, which was like a period of stability for me really. But yeah, we were very much on the go, like a bit nomadic. I had typical kind of... Boomer sort of stroke hippie parents, you know, growing (laughs) up in like the late seventies, early eighties, and yeah, I was just really, I was a massive reader. I was always obsessed with reading. I was really curious and always wanted to find out about the world. And you know, we sort of went around Europe in a combi van and stuff. So it it was, it was quite a open minded childhood, I think. Yeah, but my my nature, I was like quite, you know, positive, and um, I was a bit of a people pleaser, a bit attention seeking. I think I felt quite quite unsure of myself, like lots of kids do and teenagers Mm -hmm. do. So, you know, I wanted to be likable and wanted people to like me. So I think that often created a situation where I, you know, didn't necessarily do or say what I wanted to, but did or said what I thought other people wanted me to do so that I would get their approval. My parents had like a super messy divorce when I was eight or nine, I think it was. So that sort of things went a little bit little bit chaotic there. And then we had, and as I said, we had lots of moving. So I I was pretty resilient. Like I was, I was pretty used to Going to a new school, going to a new town, you know, meeting people, and I became quite good at like forming relationships and and sort of sharing stuff about myself. But it was I didn't really form very deep connections because it kind of felt like we were kind of always moving and and moving on to the next thing. So that was something I I found it easy to you know chat to people and all of that kind of stuff. But I did find it hard to to kind of have those really deep connections. And I didn't really make all my good girlfriends and stuff until I kind of got like in later teens. And I was just like desperate to be an adult. I didn't like love being a kid you no know way. I was just being an adult just seems so exciting and you've got to get out there and do your own thing and I was pretty young for my like I started high school when I was 11 and finished year 12 I just turned 16 for like a couple of reasons just because I used to go to school in England when I was younger and stuff but what that meant was that I was very young compared to my peer group in yeah. high school and that's like tricky you know it's fine from an academic perspective and stuff but I think mm. socially that's pretty tricky.
1: Oh my gosh that is the first YTA that we've had with so much change and movement and uprooting and upheaval so early and I think that is something that you come out with you know you often look back to your childhood and look at the characteristics that it leaves you with and resilience I'm sure is one of them ability to create your own stability in lack of stability is probably something that stayed with you that's obviously incredibly useful at times like now
0: (laughs) sure sure absolutely Yeah, I'm not scared of change so that's I I don't shy away from it If, if anything I'm probably more like lean into it and sort of you know, I want to know, you know, how can I help this or how can I have an impact on a situation? So yeah, definitely, definitely helped me with that. And it actually doesn't surprise me now, even just hearing the way that you
1: speak about that time and reflect on all the factors and how it might've been impacting you and and you at that time. And also at such a formative age, like eight and nine to have, you know, your family unit also separated at that time. I I find it, always interesting to see what that translates to for people when they get to that age where you actually have to translate all those skills and experiences into like a life path. So the fact that you chose behavioural science at uni, I find... So cool, because that if I had to guess something I, that makes so much sense to me that your interest in relationships and people and your own response to those environments that you would want to kind of dissect that and understand it and and reflect on it. So when you did come to you know making that decision of what you actually wanted to do and and through all that period in, in your childhood, what were the careers that you sort of thought you would end up in? Why did you choose that degree and what did you think that it would lead you to? Was people always the goal?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, no, I wanted to be an artist. So my dad was a graphic designer and I was always super creative. I was always painting and drawing and, you know, I definitely thought that I was going to be like living in Paris and being an artist and that was kind of like my career goal actually. You know, even when I finished high school I ended up sort of studying copywriting and graphic design. I didn't go into the people side straight away. I don't I don't think I realised that there was a career in that that mm. wasn't boring. <laughs> you know because I wanted something that was that could be creative and that was sort of energizing and yeah and certainly thinking about HR that was just never part of my mindset and and even from a degree perspective I did my gosh I did everything so back to front mine was like definitely not a linear path at all you know I was quite unfocused and sort of rebellious I think by the time I finished high school and I I didn't even though I did some study I I certainly wasn't super desperate to go off to uni with a really clear goal of where I wanted to be I wanted to go traveling so I Ended up kind of going travelling for four years and doing a crazy array of jobs and you know had had amazing experiences that I think I think that was probably what was right for me then. Mm. Um, I think probably going into a three or four year degree wouldn't have been something that I, I had the focus or the direction for. So I didn't I didn't do my degree until my second daughter was just born. So I was twenty seven I think or twenty eight and I I guess I'd had that sort of realization as I'd kind of got older. I'd been in the you know. You know, I'd been in the workforce and I was sort of in leadership roles and, and management roles and stuff like that, and always working for kind of great retailers. And, you know, I realized that what I love the most is I love the human connection with my team, with the customers. And I think by that age, I probably had a little bit of a, you know, inferiority complex that I hadn't done, you know, a formal degree. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. You know, and we're having our second daughter, and no time like the present, no time to when you've got a young baby, you're going through so much change anyway. I was like, hey, let's just like throw a, Full time degree on it, and, and I was working part time as well. So yeah, it was crazy. But I was very at that stage. I really thought I wanted to be a psychologist, you know. And I thought, you know, I'm good with people. I'm fascinated by them. Super curious. I want to. I want to help people. Yeah, I'm going to be a psychologist. I'm going to go and do behavioural science, which is kind of a combination of psychology and neuroscience. But what I realized, I, I just started working at Mecca at that point as well. So mm. I was a makeup artist before I'd gone back to uni. So I was working there as a makeup artist and as I was you know doing you know starting the degree and sort of going through I mean I definitely had that epiphany that I probably wasn't going to be the best fit for like a clinical setting you know a setting where like as psychologists often do you know you're dealing with Mm. you know somebody's you know emotional challenges sorry obviously mental health issues and you know often in a one one one-to-one context and You know, I had enough self-awareness to know that I didn't think I would be the best fit for that as I went through and I learned more about it, that I'd be better off in more of a group setting, in a team setting, in an organizational space where I was much more energized about how can we take what we know about human behavior and, you know, what motivates us and drives us to make something that's already good to make it even better, you know, to really kind of supercharge it um in a way that's that's beneficial for everybody, the individual, the team, the organization. And and that sort of started to come clear to me as I as I went through the degree. I definitely knew that I wanted to take all that knowledge and then apply it to to more of a, you know, the, the brands I was working for at that, at that point I was working for Mecca, you know, and I was like, oh, I could see that link about understanding people and understanding the science of people and how you could then apply it in sort of in a practical setting and something that I, I, I really loved. You know, Mecca's amazing. I, I loved working there and I was super, super lucky. I'm Jo Horgan, the founder of Mecca. Mm, Joe's amazing. Oh, she's she's so great and she was so supportive of me and I remember, you know, I was getting to the end of my third year and wrote her a little formal letter and, you know, dear Jo, and <laughs> I've, I've, I've done this and, you know, she was always very, very supportive of me and and sort of put my hand up for an opportunity in the learning and development team there obviously that sort of space is is part of you know is part of psych and and sort of human psychology sort of the learning and development piece and yeah she was great she gave me a go and um, and that really sort of kicked off for me that opportunity for someone to back me mm. and also to be able to get i guess that you know that credit for what you you have already brought to you know, a situation or, or a relationship, but for someone to kind of give you a go. So I really took that with both hands and I was like, great, this is my kind of my game changer moment, you know, yeah. and, I, and I'm really grateful to her for that. Gosh,
1: that there's so many things to pull out from that. That is so, so interesting. The fact that, you know, I think at 27, 28, you know, when you first were coming out of uni, you think that by 27, 28, you're going to be like so many years into the pathway that you're going to be on forever. You really think that you're going to have your mortgage, there's going to be no more changes no pivots no you know you you think you're going to have this level of certainty about who you are and what you want that you just don't have you just most of us don't have that and I think the you know lack of certainty and the self-doubt that creeps in that you mentioned as well at the beginning when you first had that inferiority complex. Most people have that about the fact that, you know, you think you, you should go down the should and you should do the things that fill those gaps for you. But I love the idea that you can take your time. It takes time to, pe- it's like an onion. Like I feel like you're peeling back layer by layer the things that you like. And then again, layer by layer, pairing that with what jobs actually exist out there. And you didn't even know when you started the degree, which already was late by a conventional standards. Yeah. Yeah, sure. what that would translate to and slowly slowly that incredible self-awareness of knowing what what parts of what would invigorate you and what parts wouldn't like clinical versus people just everything that you explained just then is so representative of what I'm trying to share here that yay can be you know you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step most of the steps don't make sense half the time you don't know where they're leading until you get there but they all are building towards something and there's such a huge measure of patience and fear and risk in going back to uni as a mum. You know, that must have been enormously difficult and challenging sleep-wise, time-wise, confidence-wise. But to now know that you've, you know, I didn't even know how you'd transition because I was looking at, at your LinkedIn from Mecca being in retail to then moving into people I was like whoa whoa how, how was that how did the game change and it's so interesting that it, sometimes it does just take one person to give you a chance and make you believe you could take that big jump to do it and then you moved on to T2 and now I've ended up at Swiss doing such amazing things and to be like head of you know people and culture as a director like that's you've climbed the ladder that you didn't even know you were interested in when you first started out and I love that so much what was the transition from that first leap of faith that Joe took in you to now, to, you know, I'm at the pinnacle of the industry that I just started moving into by chance.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I guess it's like following on in that non-linear fashion. I was really lucky to to sort of be given multiple opportunities at Mecca to kind of um, get more responsibility and, and to gain, you know, more knowledge, more experience. I had, I had a great manager there as well, who was, yeah, it was fantastic. You know, a bit of a, a bit of a mentor for me that was able to, I think really give me that confidence. And as you were saying before, because I was older as well, you know, I wasn't straight out of, I mean, I was straight out of uni, but as a mature age student, (laughs) um, I kind of felt, you know, I felt a bit of a sense of like, okay, I don't have time to waste. You know, I, Mm. you know, we were really lucky. We had this, like two beautiful daughters, kind of quite young. And and I've got this space now in this runway where I can really go throw myself into it. So it's really important to me to feel a strong connection to the brands that I work for. You know, it needs to be something that I... I'm naturally an enthusiastic person. So I I really need to be genuinely enthusiastic about what it is. And, you know, I mean, my God, I like love, love beauty products. So, you know, skincare and makeup at Mecca was amazing. And and their whole vision of, you know, helping people to look and feel their best was something that really kind of resonated with me. And and then as I kind of came to the end, I had like seven years at Mecca was incredible. But at that point, I was still in the learning and development space, which was, which was amazing. But I think I really wanted to push myself, I guess, to be a bit more accountable. Mm. Sometimes in the L&D space, you know, you're very much a, I mean, a really important function, but you can be, you know, more of a supporting function and really where the rubber hits the road is really in that sales and marketing space and product development and stuff. So, you know, I sort of, I'm a bit of a believer of not to sound too manifesty, but I do like to kind of go, <laughs> this is the brand I want to work for. I write it down. Yeah, <laughs> I really want to be intentional about it. So when I was thinking about, you know, look, okay, maybe it's time. time. For me to spread my wings a little bit. I definitely had T2 at the top of my list. I'm a huge tea aficionado, obsessed with tea. And uh, Marianne Shearer, who started T2, is a pretty incredible Amazing. woman. So yeah, I sort of it took me about six months to find the connection and, and sort of find my way into... A good girlfriend of mine once told me, you know, if a brand or an organisation represents something to you and you want to find out if it really is, you know, what it appears to be, find some kind of connection, someone you know that knows someone that knows someone knows someone and, you know, have a chat to them, have a cup of tea with them, find out about it, find out if kind of, you know, the exterior matches what the brand's really about. So, so I did that again. I don't want to say like, it's just luck. Like I definitely knew that I put it out there and I definitely went, you know, I was quite intentional in about in going after it, but I ended up getting a role as their national retail manager. So I looked after all of the retail business for T2 in Australia and New Zealand at that point, And it was like, even that was like a massive step for me because it was, I'd kind of, I was sort of moved sideways from a learning space into sales and operations. Oh my gosh, that was such a massive learning curve. I was just, you know, most of the time, I think, or well not most of the time, certainly the first six months I was completely riddled with self-doubt and, you know, just sort of mm. <laughs> that real sink or swim and and just, you know, learning every single day, which I loved. And, you know, essentially I stayed with T2 just to, you know, not to not to make it too long-winded for for about seven years and and I sort of ended up being the retail director for the business, and and I had lots of different functions that I worked with. So across sales, operations, visual merchandising, we rolled out new stores to Singapore and the US and the UK. So it just got huge. And Marianne sold the business to Unilever at that um, at that time mm, as I well. Remember. Yeah, a couple of years before I left. So that was really amazing to be part of this tiny startup when I started with Tito. I think we only had twenty five stores, and I worked very closely with Marianne and her sister Kirsten, who was my my manager and you know, really sort of helped to grow to grow that business. And Marianne was just so, you know, so inspirational, so like uncompromising in her vision for the customer and her vision from as from a design and aesthetics perspective for the brand. So that was a really good, a really good grounding for me. And then to also see what happens when a small business gets bought by, you know, a big multinational, that's super valuable as well. You know, you really see these kind of big machines and the way that they run things like supply chain and, and stuff is really, really impressive. And I guess I just I did have a bit of an epiphany, probably about 12 months before I left T2 that I was my role by that point was so broad I felt a long way away from the stuff that I really wanted to kind of do at that point which was the people focused stuff it's like I felt a long way a long way away from the teams from having an impact Mm. and also kind of like where I add value it's like can do sales and operations and stuff, but I'm not the best operations person in the world. And I knew that my value was much more about, you know, it was much more through leadership, being able to kind of grow a thriving culture, drive high-performance you know authentically through teams connecting people with an organization's kind of purpose and mission and and values and that was a space that I really loved and I thought that I can make the biggest difference so in my mind again I kind of put it out there and it's like I'm gonna I'm going to look for something where I can move into you know get some more depth in that people and culture space because people and culture was always a big part of my roles at T two. And at Mecca, I mean, anyone that's been in retail knows there's a lot of people stuff. You know, you've got you know, a lot of stuff that, that you need to be able to support the team members with. So I felt as though I definitely had that kind of the anecdotal experience without having sort of been in a traditional HR role before. So, yeah, I was very lucky, again, to be given an opportunity at Swiss. So that was and for me, Swiss is I'm anything to do with, you know, health and wellness and, you know, being able to live kind of a full and thriving life really appeals to me. My, my daughters call me the health witch. That's their affectionate <laughs> nickname for me. Well, I'm assuming it's affectionate.
1: Um, <laughs> I love so much that, you know, those first two chapters were seven years long. They weren't instant gratuity, need to know the answer tomorrow. They were, I'm going to explore the entirety of my role in this opportunity and how much I can learn before turning my mind to, it might take you seven years to outgrow an opportunity and and feel that itch for a new thing. And you've reminded me just through those two opportunities that, you know, I feel like, it, to not sound too woo-woo, but things happen in seven-year chapters. It's really yeah. interesting that you've had two seven-year stints, but that your comfort zone does catch up with you over that time. You do start to feel that maybe you've outgrown the role or you've outgrown or it has outgrown you and it requires more from someone who brings different things to that. Mm. And I love your willingness to see that maybe it's not forever, Maybe I do need to take another step and then to go after it. Like I think you say it's, you know, you were lucky, but I I think you made that luck by being open to just talking to people and to making those opportunities open for you because you put yourself on the radar for those brands and because you actually committed them to paper, which is scientifically proven to make your goals. Like, I don't know, I can't remember the percentage more likely to happen, but you've been very clear on your willingness to take the next step. But also, I think some people ask for things very broadly, but if you ask for something specifically like at this company, I would like a role that focuses on blah. It's a lot easier to make that happen when you know what it is.
0: Absolutely. And
1: how wonderful that they've all aligned so strongly with who you were already and what you were interested in, but just all in in, for different chapters of your life. And, And also big thing. I need to mention here is what from Swiss's range are you taking to mean that you've fitted two seven-year careers before this career and two children and I like anatomically don't think that you could have physically fitted that in. You look like 20. Oh,
0: mate. Um, so that is very kind. It must be where I'm sitting, I think, with the light coming in from the window. But I, I'm i a massive believer in preventative health, and I guess that's kind mm. of a fairly broad subject. But everything from, you know, lifestyle choices and, you know, your your nutrition and, and, and your movement and, and, and how you move and what you do to look after your mind, you know, how you connect with others and, and what you do to sort of feel fill up all of those, you know, or water all of those plants, I guess. But from a supplements perspective, I mean, I've always taken supplements. I'm a, I'm a big believer in them. I'm a Virgo and I feel like Virgos, what I read about them is they're kind of a bit self-obsessed with their health, can be kind of hypochondriacs. So I've always <laughs> had a really like deep interest in my health and I I would like to think it's to do with being a Virgo, but um, I'm pretty religious. So at nighttime, I take magnesium. I take zinc for my immune system. I take magnesium for muscle repair and really good for helping you sleep. I take a probiotic as well so probiotics are really great to take at night time when your stomach's not digesting food so when it's having a little rest um I mean it's really interesting I'm, I'm sure you know about it but there's so much sort of research and stuff now about that link between mind health and gut health mm. um and then I also take evening primrose as well and I take a we've got a collagen peptide that I take so I take that every morning now as well so I, I, I do take quite a lot and it sounds like a lot probably to normal people but yeah I, I think it's great and I, and I sort of feel like you know I've got some friends who are probably more cynical and and, and have never sort of really been into preventative health. And they're like, well, do you think it makes a difference? Like, well, for me, I feel healthy and I feel like vibrant. And I feel like as I've got Mm. older, you know, I haven't been super impacted by kind of age-related health concerns or anything at this stage. And and, I, and I, I do. I think it's all part of that. I think it's part of, you know, taking vitamins and eating healthy and meditating, mm. and I think it's kind of the whole thing.
1: Well, you are glowing in the way that belies the length of your journey so far, so it's
0: obviously doing something for you.
1: <laughs> so having moved from Mecca and then T2 and into Swiss and then moving from retail and sales but into a more official people role. You know, I was reading that you've become accredited in things like the, you know, Herman HBDI practices and started in organizational effectiveness and have now become director of people and culture. And I think to people who either haven't worked in a big organization before or have and have not had much of a reason to be engaged with the role too much, HR is actually quite mystical. Like a lot of people don't actually understand what the role is because it's it's people. And that's sort of, we're all like, oh, I know, I know people. But I think a lot of People take for granted the role that you actually play, that you are actually in charge of things like effectiveness, mental health, well being. There's, you know, all the typical things like payroll and all the things that, you know, traditionally a part of HR, but people and culture means you're creating the culture of a brand like Swiss that then permeates everything that you do internally, but then also externally. So can you run us through how your role has evolved, what it actually is, some of the workplace practices that you're most proud of, that you've been part of implementing, the things that people wouldn't know that that came from you or that that you're spearheading within the organisation? And and yeah, I guess just your day-to-day, the main things that occupy you and that you really want to achieve within Swiss.
0: Yeah, great question. So look, I think from a sort of an HR perspective, it's people tend to think of, you know, HR sometimes as the fun police or you know the part of the business that's kind of all about governance and compliance and policies the whole thing just sounds really uninspiring and a little bit dull so that's absolutely not the experience that certainly I've had in people and culture and I I guess recognizing that I feel incredibly grateful to be Part of the People and Culture team at Swiss, you know, we've been really lucky. Swiss has been recognised as an Employer of Choice for many years, and it's super progressive mm-hmm. in terms of its people approach. And you know, it has a has a very very unique culture. So I, I guess when we when we think about our vision as a PNC team, it's really about empowering great people so our talented team to be able to be high performance to be able to thrive in every aspect of their life and being able to add great value to individuals and teams and the organisation all together and I mean what that looks like it's at, at Swiss is we have as I said before a very progressive people and culture team we've got a great bunch of people within the team and they've come from all different areas of HR so much more traditional HR than than I have so in the sense of having sort of longer careers and and much more specialist knowledge and experience. So what it looks like for us is we've kind of got the stream which is about you know, development and capability. So it's about supporting our team with learning opportunities to be able to build their performance, about providing opportunities to learn the skills of the future. We've also got a part of that space, which is about being able to support the team with personal and professional development. So at Swiss, we've got three pillars, which are movement, mind and nutrition. And we run a whole lot of programs and initiatives which support the team with being able to access learning and access access programs that are across each of those three pillars. So as an example, we have every day, uh, it's at the office, but we're doing it virtually at the moment, we have meditation for 20 minutes. So that's guided a couple of times a week. We work with Happy Melon. They're fantastic. And we're also, we're really lucky. We've got quite a few team internally who are um, accredited meditation coaches as well. So that's something that we do as a business. It's very much part of our, our kind of our DNA, you know, that if you look after your mind that way to be able to clear through the clutter so that you're you're able to maintain your energy and your focus and that clarity as you go through the day and not and not be as prone to the that sort of workplace sort of energetic stress that can build up over a day from the interactions you have with people even if they're not necessarily negative you know that can be really draining on people and and that you know it can build up your cortisol levels build up and you know people getting sort of getting to the middle of the afternoon and like oh my god chocolate you know sugar coffee <laughs> or get home have a wine because they're just wanting to they're wanting to provide some kind just of decompress. Yeah, to decompress. I've actually found I moved into meditation
1: from just I mean the corporate context complete burnout but it w- I've needed it more not so much from the physical stimulation in a negative sense of overdoing it but actually learning that positive stimulation Also burns you out, even if it feels like it's a good thing. You can have too much of a good thing and great experiences. Like you might be working on the best project you've ever worked on and having the best time and having no negative feelings, but wonder why you're completely burnt out emotionally and physically. And it's because it's still stimulation, even if it's positive. So I love that you guys are really tuned into that already because I think- Big organizations are where it becomes a lot harder for you to keep on top of those ground level things like maintaining your mental health, taking out the trash. It is a lot harder for you to build in those practices that are stop gaps before you actually get too far gone and you you build them into the week before you need them I love that you guys are already doing that
0: yeah and I think there's that I mean our we always tell people when we're sort of when we're recruiting talent or when we're meeting with people that we want people to bring their whole selves to work you know that for us that's something Mm -hmm. that we're really aiming for you know we want The same person that you are on a Saturday, you know, to be in the office or, you know, virtually in the office on a Monday with a veneer of, you know, professionalism, Um, maybe not like the middle of Saturday night, but certainly we want those, (laughs) yeah, we want people to be who they are because, I mean, I experienced that myself, you know, the less dissonance you have between who you really are and how you want to be and being able to be that in your work context mm. i think it reduces a lot of stress and it reduces a lot of i mean that's exhausting mm. pretending to be someone that you're not we want people freed up from that so they can focus on the great work you know they can focus on innovating and they can focus on thinking disruptively they can focus on the consumer and our customers and the product development so we really encourage people to we want that diversity we want we want people to really sort of feel as though they can you know really really show up as they are and i think as like the demographics are changing i think i was reading the other day that by 2025 75% of the world's workers or employees will be you know millennials and you know gen z so that's a massive shift and it's a massive shift in what that demographic expects from work you know, yeah. you know they expect it to be purposeful they want brand alignment between their brand and the brand of the employer that they're working for. They want to learn, they want to feel as though they're making a difference. They're not prepared to wait forever for the next opportunity. So you really have to think about, you know, how do you make sure that you continue to be ahead of the curve, thinking about the future of work, making sure that, you know, you've got a people not jobs mindset. So, you know, absolutely, you need to keep reskilling your people, you need to keep thinking about what are those skills that we're going to need in the future? How do we get ourselves and our business ready for that? Because I think it's different now. I mean, you really have to I think it's the individual's responsibility to kind of to be a lifelong learner Mm. so they're marketable with their skills and their experience and they're able to have an awesome varied career across their whole life you know and like you like you were saying before it's not necessarily linear there's so many paths that people can choose you know it's that growth mindset you want people to know that you can learn new things you can apply yourself it's fine if you fail get back up keep going don't let fear hold you back because, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, for sure. Gosh, I think if anyone underestimated the role of HR and broadly people and culture in any organisation, particularly who haven't been in one before, I don't think they will ever underestimate what you are responsible for doing within a business ever again after hearing this. (laughs) Before we move on to the next section, which does focus a little bit more on that fear and the challenges along the way, I just wanted to ask from the perspective of someone who is, infinitely qualified and surrounded by this but f- for people listening who perhaps don't work work in an organization that does have as big focus on people and culture or for like for myself who's left the security and structure of a corporation that can offer you that things like we mentioned briefly before the herman personality test and there's lots of tools for you to build the self-awareness that you don't have a lot of people don't have and have never really learned to cultivate or know where to go. Is there anything, any sort of tips for learning about yourself and learning about other people? Like I found Gary Chapman's book, The Love Languages, like it's obviously
0: yeah. not
1: necessarily a science, but that was revolutionary for me in managing relationships. Are there any tools or hacks or tests or markers that you use on the daily that might be useful yeah. to others in people and culture? In
0: life? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, I mean, you've got your sort of bag like you were talking about it before, which is sort of things like HBDI or there's one called the Lifestyles Inventory. There's so many. They're essentially they're psychometrics. So what they're doing is it's normally a self-report Sometimes it's like a 360 where you might ask other people for feedback and to fill it out for you. And all of them have different frameworks and science and kind of data and and, and research and, and things behind them. And you know, they have a sort of a hypothesis and a model. And the whole point of those is to be able to understand more about yourself. So to drive that self-awareness about how you may be perceived how you may Mm. respond in any given situation, what you're thinking or your cognitive biases might be. So why you might have a preference to go towards, you know, you might be very visionary in your thinking, for example, and you may really shy away from anything to do with process and detail. It doesn't mean that you can't do it, but that's absolutely where your preference will be and you'll go there before other things. And, And really the insight is in the so what. So it's like, You know, you can do a gazillion sort of self-assessments. You can do so many psychometrics, but really the so what should be that once now that I have that insight, really it should be a development tool. So how do I then take that information? And that's sometimes where you might need some support. So whether it's through somebody who understands the instrument that you're using or, I mean, my gosh, there's so much stuff online, you know, you can always find a <laughs> lot of, you know, a lot of information, which is what does that mean? So what does that mean in terms of how I communicate? Certainly, if you've got a particular aspiration or something that you're wanting to achieve, but have a sense that something might be holding you back, it can give those insights to understand how you can potentially adjust your behavior, your thinking to be able to get a different outcome, you know, or to mm-hmm. understand. I mean, one of my favorite tools that we use at Swiss is Clifton Strength. So that's run by Gallup. And Strengths is all about your innate sort of natural talents and attributes that if you use them every day you will be energized by the work you're doing so much easier to get into flow you're more productive you're less burnt out you're more authentic because you're using your strengths and it doesn't mean not doing anything else no I mean everyone's got to do that it's just like how do you approach it do you approach it from a mindset of one of your strengths even if it's you know part of your job you don't love and you're going to find it more enjoyable and I mean I love that one I think it's quite accessible for people you know it's pretty easy so it's yeah Clifton Strengths you can easily do it online and have Got some really fantastic supporting documentation that you get after that really explains what that means and, and how it means. And I think that's it's it's pretty solid from a science perspective. And I know like I think about my strengths every day. You know, I, I, th- I think that can be really, really helpful. And, and particularly that whole rise in kind of the last five years, I guess, in positive psychology, you know, which is a bit what I was talking about earlier, where, you know, traditionally psychology might be more about. Helping to fix something that might be causing a challenge. Whereas positive psychology is sort of further down the continuum, which is about, okay, how do we apply what we know about the human condition and human behavior to be able to take people from good to great so that people are Mm -hmm. able to self actualize, so people are able to thrive. So there's so many different streams of it. And I think, you know, that can be a really great place to start for people to kind of understand some key concepts, whether it's things like you know, growth mindset, whether it's things like strengths, whether it's about, you know, developing resilience and grit, you know, that kind of, that sort of space, all of that kind of came out of positive psychology, which is a whole sort of field of psychology, you know, now that you can study. So I think that space is easy for people to navigate and it can be really rich. You can sort of really take it whichever way that you want. I think it's really, it's really easily applicable to the everyday.
1: Mm. You've just reminded me as well, how much we all spend a lot of time soul searching about what we want to do and where we'll be best invigorated. And I think so much of this podcast particularly has been anecdotal because so many people have been the kind of haphazard, accidental fall into a business, realize they're passionate model. But that makes me forget there are actual tools that you can turn to that can help you at least figure out part of that picture without you having to do the sort of backwards figuring it out, reverse engineering, you can actually turn actively to figure things out about yourself and cultivate more self-awareness. And I know I'm cutting my other two sections short, but I think this is a really important question that just came to my mind. A lot of people think because they hear stories of people like myself leaving corporate to move into business is where my strengths have been best invigorated. That's definitely not the case for everybody. What would you say from having seen that you can be an entrepreneur, that you can bring innovation and energy and trailblazing ideas and thinking outside the box to an organization inside it? Yeah. What would you say to people who haven't considered that that is also a possibility, particularly in an organization like Swiss where you openly encourage that kind of mentality within your employees?
0: Oh, uh, look, 100%. Because like, you're right, you know, that whole thing about going off and doing it yourself. and, And, you know, people do amazing things in that way. But, you know, it's also really scary, right? And people may not necessarily even have the means to be able to kind of take that risk. It depends what's happening in their life. And I think from an innovation perspective and opportunities for entrepreneurs, I feel like this is the biggest growth area Certainly from a people and culture perspective, when they talk about the skills of the future, they're all innovation skills. You know, it's design thinking, um, cognitive agility, creativity, you know, relationship building, communication. And, and so in that space of, of being very, very disruptive, very entrepreneurial, very innovation focused, that's absolutely what organisations are looking for and particularly as there continues to be, you know, the rise of things like automation and AI and robotics, more and more humans are going to have to differentiate themselves and really add value. And, And the idea is that really frees up people to be able to elevate and be able to bring those truly human kind of attributes Um, to their work, whether it's working for themselves or working in an organisation, which which are all of the things that that we just spoke about. I know for us, when we're looking for talent, that's absolutely what we're looking for, is for somebody with people with those entrepreneurial mindsets, you know, people who Mm -hmm. aren't afraid to, you know, give things a go, fail, move on, learn that sort of fixed mindset of not being
1: agile yeah looks.
0: not being agile yeah absolutely and being and being afraid to experiment that's less and less in demand i think mm. as organizations continue to evolve
1: And I also think it was uh, interesting that you said that things like AI and robotics and technological advances can free up people to do the thinking. I think what also frees a lot of people up, and we were talking about personality types just before, there are personality types out there who are completely consumed by the minutiae and rubbishy day-to-day stuff of running a business that when they are inside an organization, they are freed up from Mm. the accounts and the following up, you know, just all the structural stuff you have to do as a business owner that distracts you from your talent. And some people, their personalities are suited to I go to work, someone else provides the structure and I apply what I am best at and that is the best way to channel their skills. Whereas other people like the dynamics of running all the things. I just, that freeing up is something that I think a lot of people, I've had friends start their own businesses, close them and go back to an organization because that's where their skills are the most free.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. We've had, we've had team members who've done the same thing, who've, you know, gone off, they've been incredible, you know, amazing talent and they've gone off to do their own thing on the side. I mean, so many people have a side hustle these days, right? It's kind of normal. And then they go off to kind of, to grow that. And, You know, in some cases they don't come back and in some cases they do, but that's what they say too, is it's like, man, it's really hard. You know, potentially they're better suited to being more in an organisational setting. As long as they've got the right culture fit, right, that is going to empower you to be able to express that entrepreneurial mindset and innovation and amazingness. If you don't have that fit, then that's probably going to be more difficult. But yeah, even quite what what you'd think of as more conventional industries and sectors now that absolutely, you know, every. Everybody's kind of sort of heading in that direction. I I really feel like it's quite unstoppable, you know, Mm. for organizations to evolve. For sure. So, just quickly
1: to run through the other two sections, um, I get so excited talking about the journey. I always leave these till (laughs) last, but we've touched briefly on some of the biggest challenges along the way for you self doubt. I wonder whether, and I meant to ask this question earlier. So, this section is called an ATA, which is all the barriers that get in the way to your joy. I wonder whether the irony of the business of wellness is that you go into the business of wellness and then your passion for it means your own wellness falls into the background and I imagine that it's Swiss because you guys are so passionate about delivering for your audience that in the process with projects you're really excited about, it's easy for you to burn out and particularly in a people role where other people's well-being and thriving is the subject matter of your work, that boundaries would be very, very hard to actually implement in your life in any way. So has burnout been a factor for you? Has mum guilt been a challenge for you along the way? Has gender been a factor? What have your biggest challenges been?
0: Yeah, I mean, if I start with the burnout piece, I think we always say at Swiss, absolutely, that idea of whole person wellness is, yeah, firmly, firmly part of our philosophy and and all of our programs and and things support that. But it sits alongside a very high-performance culture. So it's kind of that look after yourself, but, you know, it's complex, it's challenging, it's super pacey, it's very fast moving organisation as well. So, yeah, I mean, the the pressure is high. It's absolutely energising, you're right. And I think if you were trying to navigate that pace and the complexity and the change and the challenge and, and all of the stuff that's always going on, and you weren't taking advantage of the kind of the wellness programs and, and all the resources and things we have in place to be able to support the team to recoup and then kind of go again, I think it would absolutely take its toll. I know from my perspective, you know, I do take advantage of all of those programs. I think the burnout comes more from the it's partly my personality and partly the role. It's the overconnectedness, that energetic overconnectedness with people. I mean, I've been so productive since I've been working from home. Because even though I'm talking to people a lot, even like when I'm in mean, physically face to face, honestly, it's like so often it's just conversations and, and all meaningful, fabulous and really important. But I mean, your energy is finite on a given day. And so, you know, what I've, I guess what I would find is that there was so much energy and I love sharing. I'm definitely a connector. I definitely take responsibility for the energy I bring into a conversation or a room or a relationship or a discussion so I'm conscious of that but when I reflect and I have reflected the last couple of months I'm not as tired and I'm I'm sure other people feel the same way but I've really tried to put my finger on on why that is and I, I do think it's that and the biggest benefit of that is how much more I've got to give to my daughters and my partner so that's something and that's sort of tying into the whole mum guilt piece absolutely I mean it's not so much that I've been no I have been ambitious no I'm not going to say I haven't been ambitious because I think I have been ambitious I don't think anyone would think you hadn't been ambitious (laughs) (laughs) I think I've been because I feel like I've had you know lots of awesome interesting roles I've always loved my job you know I've always loved going to work and I've always loved being able to make a difference and contribute but that has meant I would and certainly if you Ask my daughters, they would say that's their biggest complaint that they would have is that I wasn't around. You know, I wasn't. I certainly wasn't. Mm. You know, picking them up from school every day, and you know, they were quite resilient and independent. And but I, I mean, to be fair, I did want that. You know, certainly when I found when I knew I was having daughters, I was like, the, for me, the first thing was that they're independent and they're capable. You know, kind and compassionate and all of that kind of stuff. But it's like I wanted them to be able to, you know, really look after themselves financially, emotionally be able to really sort of stand on, stand on their own two feet. And so I'm really proud that that's exactly how they've turned out. But, <laughs> you know, they would have wanted to have spent more time with me. For, and a lot of the time I wasn't present, yeah. you know, because I was worried about work or thinking about work or whatever, certainly when I was younger, mm-hmm. you know, when I had less coping skills, I think. But, you know, the irony is now, now that they're young women themselves, they're like, we're so proud of you, you know, so that as they're becoming women and, and they're kind of thinking about their careers and, they're I guess seeing through the seeing things through the lens of an adult they're proud but yeah I mean I feel like I did I definitely missed opportunities to be a more present mother.
1: And do you think that that's something that is difficult to navigate alongside colleagues who are males? Because I found in law, I didn't get to the stage where I was running a career alongside motherhood, but I had already thought about that. Like only three years into my career, I was already thinking about what happens when I take maternity leave and then I'm X months behind them. And, you know, it's something that it doesn't have to be a negative dialogue but there are differences there in our journeys that have to be navigated with gender Mm -hmm. partly that's part of your role to manage that among your own employees as well but in your own journey do you think your daughters will be going into a a different workforce to what you were in or do you feel like you you had it easy to navigate like yeah what was your experience of the gender piece
0: um I think because when I had the girls and when they were young and I was really navigating that bit as the toughest you know when they're sort of pre- before school or when they're sort of in primary school and they're less independent or not the toughest, but certainly the most hands-on. You know, I was working at T2 and Mecca and so they were very... Not so much that there was like super progressive parental policies or anything like that, but it was a very female-oriented workforces, lots of women going through the same thing, you know, so it wasn't something. In fact, there was quite a few men that I was working with and I know things have, have changed now. So I didn't really have a challenge. I didn't have a challenge with that. If anything, it was probably, you know, it reinforced that it's completely okay to be kind of into your career and what you're doing because, you know, Joe and Marianne really... Role model that. Although of course they're both like you know awesome parents as well. It wasn't until I came to Swiss that I started working with more men. Actually, it's the first place I've worked where there's been sort of more of an even split of men and women. And it's not so much that I experience the difference between the parenting, working parent experience for um, the guys compared to the women there because my girls are older, so it's it's not so much my story anymore. But when I see my colleagues who have young children just doing this crazy juggle and I think the like the cognitive and emotional load of parenting or or, you know really holding that holding that burden and of course you know as we know you know women can take a lot of that guilt on and kind of the responsibility of, of not doing you know everything perfectly. I do think things, yeah, when I see the young women who don't have kids and stuff that are coming up through now, I mean, they've got such a different view to it. I I wonder whether, I mean, maybe the self-doubt will will be there. But I mean, I look at the, the women we work with, the young women, and I look at my girls, and that they're just so, their expectations are so much higher than mine were mm. at the same age. You know, I, I sort of took it for granted that you sort of had to give up or do X, Y, or Z, or, or things would be different because you're a woman, but but they're, they're completely the opposite way. It's almost like there is no way that that sort of thinking would be acceptable for them. And sometimes I kind of, you know, I listen to like my daughter's talk and I think, my God, are they completely unrealistic? Yeah. But, But but I I think it's just generational and I think it's as it should be, absolutely Mm. as it should be, that that, that they should see no barrier. Is it going to be tough for sure? I mean, I see working... Dads, you know, they've got it tough as well at work. You know, I think navigating that whole parenting working thing. We could do some really great progressive stuff as a country, you know, from a government perspective, I think to make that a little bit more manageable. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope for gender equality in the future. I, I think the awareness and the knowledge and the intent is positive and I think it's high.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's I think a really exciting time to be able to see just from one generation to the other a complete shift in mentality of It's almost part of you wants to be like, do you have any idea how hard we work? But part of you is like, I'm so glad you don't know how hard we have to work. Yeah. But the very last section is the fact that I leave it this late is symptomatic of why we need it so much. It's called play TA. And it's the idea that we do get wrapped up so much in our workplace identity that we don't really cultivate one outside of that. Most people don't have a self that's not, you know, work jazz, mum jazz cleaning jazz like there's no we get very wrapped up in our output and our productivity and don't really separate our identities from that and I mean I didn't even know what my hobbies were or what I liked or what I enjoyed I couldn't even answer those questions for a very long time so now I'm very very passionate about making sure there are activities in my schedule that are I can't win at that are not learning or productive, I can't A-type my way into them, and that are just for joy. So is there any time left over for you to play and how do you do that? What are the things you do that are for pure pleasure and not for furthering yourself or self-bettering in any kind of way?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I love, even like listening to you say that, I was a bit like, oh, my God, am I really self-indulgent? Because I do find, like I I must say, and I think it's because my girls are older, right? So it's kind of like on the weekend. I don't have that same thing that I had 10 years ago, which is, you know, everything kind of consumed with family and and parenting. And I think the whole ISO piece has definitely made me realise that things that I thought were my hobbies, I was probably just distracting myself from, you know, (laughs) just... I don't know, thinking or spending some time without myself, without having this schedule, schedule, schedule. So there's things definitely that would have said these are my hobbies before. But then I was like, I think it's just my schedule that I did on the weekends to like you know, to just tick the box, to tick the box. Right. So yeah. if you kind of put all of those aside, the stuff that I love, like I love doing when I was a kid, I love reading. So it's one of my favorite things to do. I do it for relax. I don't really read much nonfiction. Like I really like, I think I, I read a lot of that stuff for work. I just really like the sort of escapism. I read really broadly. I, I love it. I love, you know, that whole, health witch, 20% party girl. Like I do, I still, I'm very much (laughs) like, come over, let's play records and, you know, drink vodka and I'll make dinner. Like I do like socializing. I really like
1: I love connecting
0: it. with my people like I find I feel like it keeps that youthful energy in you to kind of feel like just because you're a grown-up it doesn't mean you can't like be irresponsible and have fun and kind of do
1: absolutely it. that's why it's called play to yeah. you I'm like it's your inner child that is what I I think it's funny that you said that reading is something you've liked since you were a child I feel like in childhood without layers of responsibility and obligation and should we are so unfiltered in we know what makes us happy it doesn't matter if it makes someone else happy or not you just do it yeah then you spend 10 to 40 being distracted by what everyone else thinks you should do and then you have this existential crisis of like what do I enjoy and you go back to what you knew when you were a kid it's like (laughs) we had the ingredients already
0: (laughs) I mean I don't think I was drinking vodka for dessert when I was a kid but I like was definitely dancing around to records and so yeah I don't want to sound like a cliche but I'm a crazy plant woman so I like um I like propagating them and like sharing giving them to friends and stuff like that like I really like that. I love I still love op shopping. That's probably my most consistent dream that I have is about going into an amazing op shop in the country somewhere and just going through all the clothes and finding all these amazing vintage pieces. So, you know, just just stuff like that. Like I love that. I don't really watch much TV. I'm not a huge TV watcher. You know, i watch some things on Netflix and stuff.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so impressed that you have a list because so many people don't or they have (laughs) one or two things and they have to think really hard about it. But I think it's a credit to the approach you bring to Swiss as a workplace that you do need balance and you do need to have those things to perform well that you actually do do that in real life too. So just to finish up, what are three interesting things that don't normally come up in conversation about you?
0: ooh, three interesting things, probably I, I am a gen X, so you know, as I said, raised by wolves, and <laughs> I spent a fair bit of time living in Seattle when i was was just around the whole grunge era and stuff, so i that's where it sort of kicked off my tattoo obsession, so I've got six tattoos. Um,
1: nice yes and
0: I'm definitely not finished yet I got my last one in Auckland last year so i had been following this amazing tattoo artist on Insta I had to wait six months for an appointment but finally got one with her so that was my last one that so, is not what I expected yeah. that's amazing <laughs> I don't really have any that you can see anywhere but it's a friend of mine said to me you know but do you think they make you look better? And it's like, well, I don't really even think about it in that way. I don't think about it as an aesthetic thing. I what think they I, make you look like. No, I, I just think it's – I feel like it's a story, mm. you know, that it's kind of this thing – that you can look at them and go, oh yeah, that was there. And I remember what I was thinking then. And so I don't really look at it as a better or worse thing. I look at it as kind of just, maybe it's that artist thing, artist when I, when I was wanting to be an artist when I was younger. You know, I like that idea of like telling, <laughs> telling your story in kind of images. and
1: That's such a nice one. I love that. I have five as well, but they're all same. You can hardly see them and yes. they've all got stories and they're all representative of big chapters. And yeah, I don't care what they look like. I'm like, well, obviously I did at the time, yeah. but yeah, they're much more symbolic than they are anything else. And
0: do you think you'll keep getting more?
1: Absolutely. Like someone said to me, you'll get addicted. And I was like, no, how could I want anything that permanently more than a few times? Yeah. And now I'm like, "Mm," counting down, like, when can I get my next, what's my next idea? What's my next chapter? Yeah. I'm like, I'm into it.
0: I can't imagine what will make me stop, actually. I kind of think, you know, even that thought of like, oh, but what about when you're old? It's like, oh, well, so you're old.
1: Yeah, I don't think about that either. I also think that by the time I, if I ever really had like a complete aversion, which because of the meaning of them, I don't think I would. But if I did, by the time that happens, technology will have figured out how to remove them without pain. So I'll be fine. (laughs) A hundred percent. Very last question, since I love quotes so much. What is your favorite quote?
0: My favorite quote is I mean, I like, I'd love a lot of quotes, but one, the one that I think about probably most days, I think, is um, the pain is in the resistance. So that's the reason I love that. Cause I doesn't mean don't fight for what you believe in. So it's not about that. It's about not yeah. being attached to the stuff you can't control. So that concept of how much time and energy are you going to waste fighting and suffering? and, you know, concerning yourself with stuff that you can have no impact on and instead you know, how do you shift your mind and your focus to be able to get it into the space that, you know what, I can't control any of that, but what I can control is how I do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I use that a lot, particularly if something's sort of, you know, triggering me or, you know, might be feeling really challenged by something. I really try and I use that and I try and break it down and just kind of, you know, for me, it's a reset of getting my energy focused again on kind of moving ahead and help have a positive impact and, and, and get out of the get out of a sort of a a negative headspace.
1: Oh my gosh, that is wonderful. It's actually really hard to find a quote that I haven't heard before and I haven't heard that one. It's amazing. So powerful and easy, like so practical to just circuit break yourself when you are getting too far down the resistant path, and just surrendering back into well, let's just move move forward. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so so much for sharing. I feel, I learned so much in this episode. This was amazing. Oh, <laughs>
0: you're very. I loved it. It was, and I, just, and I have to say that I'm like a massive matcha fan as well. I just love my – I love. Tea. I don't drink coffee. I only drink tea. And so I'm. And I went to Japan a few years ago, and obviously working at T Two, I got a um quite a healthy obsession. Uh, yes, and it's like I am a. I have matcha every morning I have it every day and when I found out you started matcha amazing I was like oh my gosh (laughs) that's amazing we're the perfect matcha (laughs) (laughs) you're very kind
1: So, if you were worried that you couldn't be entrepreneurial within an organisation, I think Jasmine has well and truly dispelled that for you and reminded us all that there are many formats of Yay, even within one person's own career. I took so many pearls of wisdom from this chat and hope you guys did too. Don't forget to screenshot and share them while you listen, as I love seeing your reflections and takeaways. Of course, please tag at SwissAU and myself so we can see them and pass on to Jasmine. And the same goes if you have any questions, i.e. about the evening primrose oil that gives her that glow. Hope you're having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.